they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday. Today is the 9th of July, and um, we want to thank everyone who's listening on Rumble, on Parlor, um, on our app, on Stations of the Cross Radio. And we want to thank all of our supporters and all of those who pray for us, the phys- who support us financially, but also those who support us with your prayers and your sacrifices. And thank you so much. And we want you to know that those of you who do ask through the app for your prayer intentions, we do put those prayer intentions in our, um, on our list. And we have a list in the chapel. And we remember to pray for all of those who have asked for our prayers. And we lift those up um, in the prayers that are offered at the chapel, the masses that are offered at the chapel. And thank you so much for all of your support. And uh, the app listeners, again, I do answer questions on the, um, um, on the app. <laughs> Some of them come in through the email, and the ones that come in through the email are easier for me to get to. So if you sent a question into the app and it hasn't been answered yet, just send it again. Um, I switched phones recently. I had the app on my old phone. I have to figure out. I've tried three times to download the, the app to my new phone. It hasn't worked. So I haven't been able to get to app listener questions. They're actually asking questions on the app. So I'm going to work on that, but um, persevere with me here. (laughs) Thank you for your patience. You're so kind. And thank you for listening. And we want to look at the scriptures today. And of course, we always want to start with the Bible, the gospel reading for the day. You know, it's funny. People say, you know, well, Catholics, you know, we went to Mass all our life. I'm 70 years old, and I never really heard much of the Bible. Um, Did you ever listen at Mass? Um, if you went to daily mass and, and Sunday mass, uh, you heard the whole, something from every single book of the Bible in a three-year cycle and in a two-year cycle, the two cycles combined, something from every book of the Bible is read at the mass in, in this, in the daily, daily mass reading cycle and in the Sunday cycle. So, um, when you combine the two, it's, it's a tremendous amount of scripture. In addition to that, not only the, the, the Psalms are read every day at every Mass, because there's a psalm used in between um, the, the first reading and the gospel at a daily Mass, in between the first reading and the second reading at a Sunday Mass. So, you know, you, on Sundays you get two readings, from one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament, and a psalm, and then the gospel. On the daily Mass you get a reading either from the Old Testament or the New Testament, and a psalm, and the gospel. So, and, and then in addition to that, it's like Scott Hahn, when he first, the first time he went to Mass, He's like, all of a sudden, Scripture came alive before him, and, and he saw you know, everything that God had directed Moses in the Old Testament about worship and about how the priests were to dress and, and the candlesticks and the incense and the altar and the, the vestments of the priests. And he's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, do you know? And he said it was, it was just like he wanted to stand up and say, this is from this book of the Bible, and this is from this book of the Bible. And, this is, and it was, he said it was like trying to take a drink from a fire hydrant. You know, you're just overwhelmed. So um, we just need to open our eyes. As Catholics, we kind of get complacent and we think, well, you know, uh, the Bible, you know, that's for Protestants. Well, actually, no, the Bible's a Catholic book. (laughs) Remember where it came from. The bishops of the Catholic Church are the ones who gave us the canon of scriptures. And no, it wasn't changed at the Council of Trent. The canon of scriptures was codified at the Council of Trent. The canon of scriptures was set by the Catholic Church, the bishops of the Catholic Church, at the Council of Carthage and Hippo, in 395 and 397, I believe, 
and my dates might be a little off. There was another one in 425, but that was set. That was, it wasn't codified. It wasn't set in stone. It wasn't said, this is it. There's no changing this. That didn't happen until the Council of Trent, but the Council of Trent didn't add anything to the canon that had been given by the early fathers of the church in the late 300s and early 400s. What the Council of Trent did is because Protestants were rejecting certain books of the Bible that were already there, the Council of Trent said, no, this is the canon of scripture. It is set in stone. Boom, said, done. The Council of Trent didn't create the canon and it didn't change the canon. It codified the canon. The church is very slow about codifying things. So that's just a brief history lesson there. The cat... The Bible is a Catholic book. It's our family heirloom. And it's for every Christian, too, who isn't united to the Catholic Church fully. But the scripture is for everyone. It's written for all of us because it's God's word to the world to help us to come to know him, to know how much he loves us, and to give us that through that, knowing that we are so loved, giving us the choice to either respond in love or to reject him. And yeah, we're free. God made us free. He gave us a free will. He didn't make a universe of automatons. He gave us free will. We have to freely choose him. And we have to do the hard work that is necessary for us to freely choose him. So let's take a look at this gospel from Matthew today. Matthew 10, 16 through 23. Jesus said to his disciples, Behold, I am sending you like sheep among wolves. Ah! So be shrewd as serpents and simple as doves. But beware of men. For they will hand you over to courts and scourge you in the synagogues, and you will be led before governors and kings for my sake, as a witness before them and the pagans. When they hand you over, do not worry about how you are to speak or what you are to say. You will be given at that moment what you are to say, for it will not be you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will hand over brother to death. And the father, his child. Children will rise up against parents and and put them to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but whoever endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to another. Amen, I say to you, you will not finish the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes, the gospel of the Lord. You know, sometimes when you read the gospel, it's like, really, Lord, could you have preached another gospel? He's telling us that our own family members will turn us over and will hate us. I remember recently someone was telling us a story about um, something that happened in the news in Pasadena. A woman was killed by her son, and she and her brother were killed by you know, the son who was also, it was the, the brother's nephew, the, the woman's son. And, and I was thinking, how could a family member do that to a family member? Sin. Cain killed Abel. The first murder, right? The first murder on earth was a brother killing a brother <laughs> out of jealousy. And, and as evil abounds more and more, we see more and more violence. But here's the deal. And this has happened. You know, family members turn over family members. When the church is persecuted, if someone in the family gets frightened for their own life to the point that they're not willing to surrender their life to death, then they turn in their family members to save their own life. And we have to pray for the grace to persevere in times of trial because we're being persecuted. 
Now, there's always some subtle form of persecution. Our own flesh persecutes us. You know, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The first one we have to overcome is our own flesh because our own flesh is always trying to entice us into, oh, you know, God understands. You know, you've got, you've got 11 rebellious children, love, hate, joy, sorrow, desire, aversion, audacity, fear, hope, despair, and anger. Those are your 11 emotions. In addition to that, you have all the faculties of your body. You know, the need for sleep, the need for rest, the need, um, the, the eye is made to see beauty, the ear is made to hear beautiful things. And all of, all of the faculties of the body are reproductive organs and, and the need for intimacy and friendship. And all of these cry out for their own favorite food, independent of the good of the whole. It's the intellect that's supposed to guide the whole thing in it, you know, because we don't have the gift of integration. <laughs> that was a gift above and beyond our nature that God gave to Adam and Eve that was lost with original sin. So Jesus is, is warning us, you're being sent as sheep in the midst of wolves. Well, wait a minute. I don't want to be a sheep in the midst of wolves. What are you talking about? Ah, no, no, wait. So we're supposed to be as clever as serpents and as gentle as doves. Because we're not supposed to hate people who persecute us. Gentle as doves, right? But we have to be clever. And that cleverness has to be that I realize I'm not relying on myself. I have to rely on God. And I have to beware that I don't betray myself to other people. You know, when persecution came, Christians were told, don't run out into the streets and say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, come and get me. No, that's presuming on the mercy of God. God gives the grace of martyrdom at the moment to those whom he gives it. When the communists were taking over um, Hungary, Cardinal Menzensi was in the, the seminary. And a lot of the seminarians were talking about how brave they would be when the communists came and how they would stand against them and they would witness to the faith in the face of these communist, uh, you know, attackers. And, and Cardinal Men and Menzensi, seminarian Menzensi said, I will run and hide. And that's exactly what he did. He ran and hide. He ran and hid. But you know what? He was the one who stood against the communists. He was the one who was, lived a white martyrdom for years under house arrest under imprisonments, and then eventually being exiled. But he never gave up the faith. Many of those seminarians who had been talking so brave did. No, we can't presume on ourselves and our own courage. We have to rely on the Lord. We have to be clever and, and try and not draw persecution to ourselves. We don't have to do that. We don't have to draw it. We just live our faith simply, but gentle as doves. Loving our enemy, praying for those who persecute us, forgiving those who harm us, even those who harm us to the point of death, even those who harm our family members to the point of death. We will to forgive. We will to forgive. Now, as I said, we have those 11 emotions, right? And one of those emotions, anger. When I see injustice, anger is the emotion God gave me to move me to correct injustice. But I need to ask myself, when I see an injustice, is it my place to correct this particular injustice? If it is my place, and that's the first question I have to answer, is it my place? And if it is, I have to ask, what is the proper measure and the proper means? But showing the emotion of anger and getting angry and destroying things is not the proper way. Well, we haven't even gotten through today's gospel yet, but that's okay. We have time. We have lots more to come here on Bible with the Barbers. I thank you for joining us, for listening. I thank you for your support. Anyone who wants to uh, support us can call us at 877-526-2151. You can sign up to be a monthly donor. And remember, we have that uh, conference on human sexuality coming up August 7th with Dr. Sandoval and others. Be right back.
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back. Terry's babysitting our grandson. So here we are. We're looking at today's gospel passage, and um, Jesus has told us that he's going to send us as lambs in the midst of wolves. All right. The instructions and warning Jesus gives here apply right through the history of the church. There's never a time they don't apply. Okay. It is difficult for the world to understand the way of God. Sometimes it's difficult for us Christians to understand. Sometimes there will be persecution, sometimes just indifference, not just indifference, but indifference to the gospel or failure to understand it. Sometimes people twist it. If you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools. Huh? Genuine commitment to Jesus always involves effort, which is not surprising because Jesus himself was a sign of contradiction. Remember? Indeed, if it were not the experience of Christian, of a Christian, he would have to ask himself whether he was not, in fact, a worldly person. So if we don't experience some kind of pushback from the world, when we live our faith, we have to ask ourselves, are we really living our faith? Or are we just being a worldly person and pretending to be Christian? St. Therese of Lisieux, uh, uh, when her was young, she and her parents went to stay with some cousins for a while, and um, the father didn't let them stay there. And Trez writes in her autobiography that these, this, this extended family, members of theirs, these people had, um, they were a little too clever at mixing the world with their faith. They were a little, they were too worldly. They were being worldly. And Lewis and Zelie Martin were committed to raising their children as saints. They wanted their children to understand the only reason we exist is to live in union with God. And what he saw is that their relatives were actually living more in the world than they were living in union with God. And so they didn't stay there. They, they left and lived somewhere else. There are certain worldly things a Christian cannot compromise about, no matter how much they are in fashion. Therefore, Christian life inevitably involves nonconformity, nonconformity with anything that goes against faith and morals. And what do we read in Romans 12, 2? Well, in Romans 12, 2, we read, well, Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may prove what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. We can't just go along with the morals of the world. We have to stand against them. All right? So we need to not be afraid. We need to trust in God. And we need to understand that God himself has made the promise. You know, he said, don't worry about what you say beforehand. And how many times have people made incredible statements before their persecutors that like Joan of Arc, you know, and she's standing before her persecutors and they couldn't prove she was a heretic. So finally they said, okay, Joan, simple little peasant girl that you are. They didn't say that, but they're thinking this. she's a peasant girl. She'll get the wrong answer here. Are you in the state of grace? Well, if she have said yes, they'd immediately have declared her a heretic because none of us can ever infallibly know, infallibly know that we are in the state of grace. I can be conscious of whether or not I've committed a mortal sin, of whether I've committed some grave offense against God, you know, some commit a grave moral evil. And I, so I can be 
you know, have a reasonable certainty, but I can't be infallibly know. And Joan of Arc replied, if I am not in the state of grace, may God put me in the state of grace. And if I am in the state of grace, may God keep me in the state of grace. The Holy Spirit speaking through her. And over and over again, this is the witness of the ages. And at the end of this gospel passage, Jesus says something. You know, of course, I already talked about the fact that, you know, families will be divided, not because Jesus came to divide, but because not everybody's going to choose to follow Christ in the way that they should. And some people are going to say, well, I'd rather keep my life in this world than lose it. So I'm going to compromise and I'll turn in my family members. It happens. It happens in every age. Okay. So. At the end, he says, amen, amen, I say to you, you will not finish the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. And many um, rationalists interpreted that as meaning that Jesus obviously thought the end of the world was coming soon. No, he didn't. And that's not what he's talking about. You see, he did come to visit judgment on Jerusalem in 70 AD. The Jews had rejected him as the Messiah. Now, not all the Jews did. But the Jewish leadership and those in Jerusalem, when the Romans came against, the Jews finally rose up and started to rebel against Rome. And and Caesar sent his armies out, besieged Jerusalem, put a wall around it. And the people in Jerusalem, Jerusalem fell in 70 AD. This is what Jesus is referring to here. That was his return. His return to pass judgment on those who had set themselves against him who were supposed to be the first to accept the gospel. It's not that God rejects us. He gives us the freedom to accept him or reject him. And in rejecting him, we reject any possibility for salvation or or eternal happiness. And in accepting him, we have to die to ourselves and our own preconceived notions. The Jews had a whole notion of what the Messiah was supposed to look like, and Jesus didn't fit the bill. So they rejected him. We have to be careful in our own time. Are we expecting Jesus to look in a way that he doesn't? Are we expecting him to come and remove all disease and suffering? Are we believing the health and wealth gospel? That if I follow Jesus, I'm not going to have any suffering. I'm not going to have any contradictions. There's going to be no pain. I'm going to be wealthy. I'm going to have everything easy. Well, honey, if we're going to have, how can we follow Christ crucified and have everything easy in this world? Really? We follow the crucified Christ. Remember Paul? He went to Athens and he tried to talk to them from a philosophical standpoint. And he, oh, I see you're scrupulously religious. And you even have, you have a shrine to a God unknown. And, and, and he's going to tell them about the God unknown. But he doesn't preach Jesus crucified. He preaches Jesus resurrected without preaching Jesus crucified first. After Athens, he goes to Corinth. And Corinth, Corinth was considered the armpit of the, of the world at the time, because it was a, a city of sailors. And the, 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 if you were a Corinthian woman, it meant you were a, a, a prostitute for hire. You know, it was either, um, was it every sailor had two women or every woman had two sailors? I, who knows? But there were lots of problems in Corinth and um, a lot of sinful behavior going on, but a lot of broken, wounded humanity, children who had no fathers, who had no families. And in that city, Paul preached Christ. He said, while I was with you, I resolved to preach Christ, nothing but Christ and him crucified. For he is the power of God and the wisdom of God. 
And this is it. We preach Christ in him crucified. If we're going to follow Christ, really follow him, we will suffer. We're going to suffer in this world anyway because of sin. God's perfect paradise was shattered when Adam and Eve listened to the devil and gave in to sin, when they let their trust in God die in their heart and they sinned. But what do we have to rely on? What do we have to hope in? Well, that's what I want to talk about today. And the title of my show was Remember the Marvels the Lord Has Done. Remember the marvels the Lord has done. Can God redeem us from the situation? We're living in a world right now where a few elite people have decided that the perfect population of this world is something around 375 million people and everyone else has to go. And so they're trying to find ways to get rid of them. And I don't know if you remember about a month ago, I was on the Terry and Jesse show with Terry because Jesse was out of town on a Thursday and he played a clip. Bill Gates was talking to a global warming uh, seminar and he said, well, in order for, you know, we have to reduce the world population in order to stop this global warming thing, which is just, there's no scientific basis for it. And um, according to scientists, okay, that that are reliable scientists. So Bill Gates gets up there and he says, so what are we going to do? What we're going to have to control the world population. We have to reduce it. Well, how are we going to do that? The first word out of his mouth for reducing the world population was vaccines. I was like, wait a minute, what? They've been pushing contraceptives since Margaret Sanger and and Planned Parenthood. And even before that, men have been pushing contraceptives. There's lots of ways of contraceptives and men always knew about them, including ancient pagans. But they've been really pushing them worldwide. And he said vaccines. People wake up. Vaccines are going to be used to control the world population. You know what that means? That means that they're either going to put something in the vaccines to sterilize people who won't do it willingly themselves, or they're going to put something in the vaccine to kill you. That's not me. That's not my words. Bill Gates is the one who said it. Pray for him. God have mercy on him. If he were converted, he could do the equal and opposite good of the evil he's doing at the moment. Remember the marvels the Lord has done. Well, what marvels? What are we talking about? Well, in this particular instance, this week in the Old Testament readings, we're reading from Genesis, and we're reading the story of Joseph in Egypt. And we have in Psalm 105, and you can read the whole thing on your own, which doesn't, it it, it talks about other marvels besides this one. But this one pertains specifically to Joseph. When the Lord called down a famine on the land and ruined the crop that sustained them, He sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. They had weighed him down with fetters, and he was bound with chains till his prediction came to pass. And the word of the Lord proved him true. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people set him free. He made him lord of his house and the ruler of all his possessions. Do you remember the story of Joseph? Joseph, the 11th son of Jacob, his favorite son because he was the only child of his favorite wife. Remember, Rebecca, was it Leah and um, Rebecca, right? No, Rebecca was Isaac's wife. Leah and, oh my goodness. Anyway, the wife that he loved. He had to marry Leah because the father-in-law tricked him. So he worked 14 years for the woman that he loved. And when he married her, they, she never was able to give him children. She, you know, they, the concubine thing, whatever. Anyway, so she finally had this one child, Joseph. So 
Jacob loved Joseph more than his other brothers, which was unfortunate. And Joseph had dreams, and he dreamed that his brothers would bow down before him, you know, and Jacob tolerated that. But then he had another dream where not only the brothers would bow down before him, but Jacob would bow down before him. And now even Jacob got, he reprimanded Joseph for that. But what happens is his brothers hate him. Remember, Jacob made a coat of many colors for Joseph. He made it evident that he loved Joseph more than his brothers. And the brothers were just envious. They were green with envy to the point of hatred. They, they, they focused on this envy. They meditated on this envy. And they allowed it to grow into hatred to the point where one day when Jacob sends Joseph to find his brothers to bring them food while they're out taking care of the flocks and they see him coming, aha, here comes that master dreamer. Let us kill him and we'll see what comes of his dreams. Now his older brother Reuben realized, wait a minute, this is our brother. We can't. And so he said, wait a minute, guys, wait, wait, wait. Rather than killing him outright, let's just throw him in that cistern over there. And then, and then we can say that a wild animal devoured him. And Reuben intended to restore him to his father. But that's not how the story went on. And here comes the music again. But all of this fit into God's plan. And that's what this psalm is about. God had a hand in this. No, he didn't want the brothers to be envious and jealous. And we'll talk about that on the other side of the prayer. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barber on this Friday, July 9th. Thank you for your donations, your support, and your prayers and your sacrifices. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, thank you for joining us on this Friday, July 9th on Bible with the Barbers. Thank you all those who are listening on uh, Rumble, on Parlor, on whatever, uh, on our app, our own app, or on our, our own website, virginmostpowerfulradio.org. And um, for any other... I. I don't know if we're, if we're still on Facebook or not. I haven't heard. So I, I think we're still on Facebook. But also, um, thank you for um, your support and your prayers and your generosity. And thank you, those who do ask us to pray with you uh, for your intentions. So we have the story of Joseph and his brothers. And there's this jealousy going on. Did God will that his brothers be jealous of him and hate him? No, absolutely not. God never will sin. God did not make sin. He did not make death. And that's very, very clear in the scriptures. God did not make death. He didn't make it. Death came into the world because of sin. Men turn away from God and they sin. God made us to love him. God is love. And in order for love to be love, it has to be freely given. Okay? If it's not freely given, it's not love. You know, shotgun weddings, that they're, not, they're not binding because you're not free. Unless you're marrying someone freely from your, for your own will, then it's not a marriage. It has to be free. Love has to be freely given. If it's coerced, if it's forced, God could have created a universe of automatons, right? I mean, machines, right? We like our machines. They, they do work for us, whatever. That's not what God wanted. He wanted love. God is not a solitude unto himself. He's a trinity of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they live in a communion of love and life, pouring out the father pours himself out into the son. The son pours himself out back to the father. And in the embrace of their love is, this, is the spiration of the Holy Spirit. That these three persons are in a community of love and life. It's always loving. It's always life-giving. There's this constant dynamic of love and life going on within the Trinity. And that's why he created man. So man could experience that. that man could share in that. 
Don't we want joy in our life? Don't we want peace? Don't we want happiness? Don't we want to live in freedom? Don't we want to be able to love and receive love and not be wondering all the time, does that person really love me? And oh, looking for every little possible possible mistake they make to say, oh, see, they don't really love me. No, we want that freedom of just being at peace and ah, knowing that I'm loved and receiving that love. And you see, this is what God wanted for his people, but men sin. And so God gives us free will. He's not going to force us to choose to love. We have to choose it and we have to do the hard work. Joseph's brothers needed to do the hard work of overcoming their hatred for their brother. Now, when, when the 10 of them plotted, plotted to, well, there weren't 10, there were nine because Benjamin's not there. Um, there were 11 at the time. It was, Joseph was the, the youngest brother. And, and so, um, they're going to kill him. The, the 10 of them, there are going to kill him. They think, and then Reuben, Reuben, who is the oldest, Reuben says, wait a minute. No, 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 no. He's thinking to himself, no, we can't do this. And he says to his brothers, wait a minute, he is our brother. He really, you know, seriously, guys, we shouldn't kill him outright. He really is our brother. So let's just throw him into the cistern. But Reuben's plan was to fetch him out of the cistern and take him back to Jacob, take him back to his father. Okay, so Reuben had some consideration not only for Joseph, but for his father. He understood what it would do to his father if Joseph died. Well, as they're sitting there, Reuben had gone away for a while. He walks away from the group and um, they're eating lunch. They throw their brother in a cistern and they sit down to eat lunch. Joseph pleaded with them to have mercy and to, to not do this. And they don't listen. We, that comes out when they come to Egypt to get food from Joseph, remember? So anyway, they sell Joseph as a slave to a, to a, camel, a caravan of Ishmaelites who are passing by. Remember Ishmael? Ishmael, Abraham's other son by the slave woman. <laughs> and so they sell him and he, they take Joseph down to Egypt and sell him as a slave. And he's there in Egypt and he ends up in jail because he's working for Potiphar and Potiphar is like second in command in, in Pharaoh's court. And Potiphar's wife is lusting after Joseph. And so she tries to get him to commit adultery with her. And she, Joseph says, no, he resists her. And so she lies and um, puts him in jail. I'll get even with you. And, and so, but Joseph prays and he knows that God has a plan and a purpose, but God has given Joseph a gift, a gift of interpreting dreams. And there are two men in the prison, a baker and a cup holder. And um, one of them, they both have a dream and, and it turns out one of them's going to end up on the gallows and the other one's going to be restored to his place at the Pharaoh's side. I believe he was the, the cup holder was going to be restored and the baker was going to be killed. So be executed. So the, the, the cup bearer, when, when Joseph says, when you're at the Pharaoh's side, remember me. Well, then the Pharaoh has a dream that troubles him and he doesn't get, nobody can interpret the dream. And the cup bearer says, you know, there was a man in prison who interpreted dreams. So Pharaoh sends for Joseph. Well, the, the interpretation of dreams is a gift given by God. And the, the dream of Pharaoh is, remember, the seven healthy cows come out of the river and then seven scrawny little cows come out of the river and they devour the seven healthy cows. And they're like, what does this mean? And, and Joseph tells him, he says, it means you're going to have seven years of an abundant harvest and then you're going to have seven years of famine. So you need to store up the grain from the years of harvest because you're going to need it to distribute to the people, ration it out. So during the seven years of harvest, you're going to have to ration the food and store up a lot of extra because you're going to have seven years when you're going to need to distribute it. 
So the Pharaoh says, well, since God gave you this wisdom, you're in charge, buddy. He made him the Lord of his house and the prince over all his possession. So Joseph is in, in charge. So he, he and, and it turns out that the famine not only affects Egypt, it, it spreads throughout the Middle East. And so jo Jacob sends his sons down to get some food from, from Egypt. Well, it turns out, you know, they have to go to Joseph. They don't recognize Joseph. They haven't seen Joseph in years and they think he's dead. Well, Joseph recognizes them and he's not angry. He knows that God had a purpose in all this, but he also needs to know if they've repented and, and if they're being honest and forthright. So he makes one of them stay and, and he sends food back with the others. But he tells the others, he tells them, he says, you can't come back again unless you bring your youngest brother. And so they go back and they tell Jacob, well, you know, so then they eat and they ran out of food. And Jacob says, you have to go back. And they said, we can't go back unless you, we let, you let Benjamin come with us. He said, no. He said, we couldn't come back. But Joseph is not testing them out of anger or revenge. He's testing them to give them an opportunity to show that they're really sorry for what they did. And you see, when they're tested, they're discussing in their own language what went on with their brother Joseph. And Reuben speaks up and he said, didn't I tell you not to harm the boy? Didn't I tell you he was our brother and we shouldn't do this? And you wouldn't listen? And Joseph understands what they're saying. And so Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, but he tells them, don't condemn yourselves for this, okay? Because you see, God had a plan. God had a plan to save many, many people. Your actions were evil. Your actions were wrong. But God in his mercy used the wrong that you did to bring about a greater good. And this is what we need to see in our own time and what's going on in our own world. God allows evil to happen in our world. God doesn't will it. God does not will sin. He does not will death. He doesn't will evil. He wills good. God is good and he is love. That's what he wills. But he allows us to have our free will. And if we choose evil, he will allow us to live with the consequences of our choices. But the purpose is for correction. I will correct you by drawing up the sins before your eyes so that you will repent. God wants us to repent. And his patience is directed toward, toward repentance. God adds days and years to the life of the sinner that he might repent. That doesn't mean become a sinner so you can have a long life. And give up your sins now because none of us knows the day or the hour. Many people die young and it's not just the good that die young. A lot of people die young. And a lot of people die old, good and bad. There are saints who live to be 100 years old. But there are saints who died at a very young age. St. Jacinta and St. Francisco, St. Tarsicius. Um, there's a little boy, John of the Smile, who died in the 1990s, I believe, and he had cancer. And everybody just, and he received his first Holy Communion before he died. And he just, he just loved the Lord. And he just wanted to live for the Lord. And this, this little five-year-old boy who was dying of cancer. You know, yes, God can make a saint of anybody at any time. And even great sinners, St. Mary Magdalene, the repentant prostitute, uh, St. Bartolo Longo, the repentant Satanist priests, you know, St. Paul, the, the, the repentant persecutor of the church, you know, St. Peter, the repentant betrayer, not, not betrayer, but denier. He denied Jesus in the moment of 
of fear. You know, how many, you know, there's no saint that doesn't have a past, but no sinner that doesn't have a future. God wants us to repent. God wants us to repent. And so, the, J- Joseph recognized and realized he didn't feel sorry for himself. He wasn't saying, woe is me. Look at what my brothers did to me. I'm going to get even with them someday. Oh, they're going to get it. I'm going to get back at them. He didn't harbor a grudge. He loved. He loved the Lord and he tried to live for the Lord every day, day in and day out. When he was in prison, when he was serving Potiphar, when Potiphar's wife was trying to seduce him. And he said, no, when he resisted her. And then she throws him into jail. And there's nothing he can do. He can't defend himself, you know. And so he's in jail. And, but, but he's kind to the people in jail. And he helps out the jailer. And then he interprets these dreams. And, and eventually it's brought to the notice of the Pharaoh. All in God's time. In time to save the people from famine. And in time to save his own family from famine. So when his brothers come down, he's not trying to get even with them. Okay. He's not trying to get even with them. He understands what they're saying. And, and it, you know, when they, when they were sent back the second time, Judah comes to him. He says, Joseph, I beg my, he says to Joseph, I beg my Lord, let your servant speak earnestly to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant for you are the equal of Pharaoh. My Lord, ask your servants, have your fa- have you a father, another brother? When we said, my Lord, we have an aged father and a young brother, the child of his old age. The one's full brother is dead. And since he is the only one by that mother who was left, that was Rachel, by the way. I got her name. I looked it up. It's Rachel. <laughs> the father dotes on him. And we couldn't bring him. The father said, no, we won't let, I can't let you bring him. If anything happened to him, it would kill me. So we'll be right back. We want to look at how God uses the evil that's done in the world to bring about good. Thank you for joining us. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us on this Friday, July 9th on Bible with the Barbers. Thank all of those who support us, all those who are listening on Rumble, on Parlor, on Facebook, if we're still on there, on, on the Stations of the Cross radio. Thank you, Stations of the Cross, for picking up our signal. And um, thank you. Thank you all of you who are interested in studying your scriptures and, and learning more. This is our family heirloom. We want to read God's love letter to us, the love letter that he signed in the blood of his son. So we're talking about remember the marvels the Lord has done. God never wills an evil, and he will not allow an evil to take place that he can't bring a greater good out of. So he can bring greater good out of evil. Even people who plan to destroy the world or kill thousands of people or you know whatever, millions of people, um, God can bring a greater good. He can bring about a greater good. And we don't see that. We won't see that till we get to heaven. So we want to be faithful. We want to pray every day for the grace of final perseverance and get to heaven. So we're talking about Joseph and how his brother sold him into Egypt and how they had harbored a grudge against their brother. They allowed themselves, instead of seeing their brother as a brother, instead of saying, well, dad likes him more than the rest of us. So be it. You know, this is life, you know, you know, it's just life. (laughs) Instead, they hated him and they wanted to kill him. But instead of that, God had another plan. Joseph wouldn't be killed. He would be the instrument that God would use to preserve many, many lives. So Jacob had sent his sons down to get food because they heard that there was food in Egypt and they came back and now they ran out of food and he sends them back and they were supposed to bring Benjamin. But Jacob won't let Benjamin go. 
He said, no, you can't do this to me. Joseph is already gone. Benjamin is the only other son I have from Rachel. He's the child of my old age. No, I'm not letting him go. So they go back and they're, they're frightened. They don't know what they're going to do. And Judah says, you know, so they let, you know, if, if my father, it would bring him down. You know, you said for us to bring him. But the problem was our father is like, no, I can't let him go. What would happen if, if something happens to him, like something happened to Joseph? I, I just, I can't. And at that point, Joseph can no longer control himself. Now, he's, he's talking to them through an interpreter, but he understands everything they're saying in their own language because he remembers it. And he has everybody withdraw, and then he tells his brothers who he is. I am Joseph, your brother. He says, is my father still in good health? But his brothers can't even answer him. They're so dumbfounded. They're like, what? What? <laughs> and he says, come closer to me. And when they had, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you once sold into Egypt. But now do not be distressed and do not reproach yourself for having sold me here. It was really for the sake of saving lives that God sent me here ahead of you. You see, if I hadn't come ahead of you, you wouldn't have food right now and you all would have died. But God had a plan. Your wickedness, as wicked as it was and offensive to God, God is using for good. And Joseph totally forgave his brothers. He held no grudge. He wasn't going to get back at him. He really did understand that God's hand was in this and that God was directing this. You know, remember in, in Paul's letter, is it to the Ephesians, where he says, Let, put on that, have the same attitude in you that was in Christ Jesus? For though he was God, he did not deem equality with God something to be gra grasped at, but rather he emptied himself and took the form of a slave. Being born in human likeness, he was found human in form. And it was thus that he humbled himself, obediently accepting even death, death on a cross. And how does that parallel here with the song? Psalm, the psalm? When the Lord called down a famine on the land and ruined the crop to sustain them, he sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. Christ would come as in the form of a slave, and many would not recognize him as the Messiah, but he would shed his blood for us. Joseph didn't have to shed his blood for his brothers, but he suffered on their account. He was in prison many years in Egypt. Besides the suffering of being a slave, he was sold as a slave. And yet, he's made the second in command under Pharaoh in order to distribute the food to everyone who needs it. And the same Christ came, but he is, he's not the second in command. He is in command. He is God. And he feeds us also on his precious body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. When he said, this is my body, this is my blood, when God speaks the word, it happens. Why do Catholics believe that Jesus Christ is really present in the Eucharist, body, blood, soul, and divinity? Because God said it. Jesus said in John 6, if you do not eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will not have life in you. If you do not gnaw on his flesh, you will not have life. Well, how's he going to give us his flesh? We're not cannibals. No, he gives us his risen, ascended, glorified body under the appearance of bread and wine. It's no longer bread and wine. There cannot be any bread and wine left because Jesus said, this is my body. The bread and wine yield their substance in obedience to the God who made them. They yield their substance and they become the risen, glorified flesh and blood 
soul and divinity of Jesus Christ, the God-man, body, blood, soul, and divinity of the risen Lord. As he exists in heaven, so he exists in the Eucharist. He is not just Emmanuel, with God with us in the past. He remains Emmanuel, God with us. And he invites us to feed on his flesh. Why? Because we need to grow in the Lord. We need spiritual food for our souls. And that spiritual food is God himself. God himself gives himself to us. Remember the marvels the Lord has done and continues to do among us. The Lord is present among us. He hasn't abandoned us and he's still in charge. And even though we live in a world where we know there are many, the communists are trying to take over our country. We know that, 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 that the globalists and the world population people are trying to reduce the world population. But they, the communists, the atheists, the militant atheists, the globalists, the world population, they can't do anything that God doesn't allow. So let's get down on our knees. Let's pray and sacrifice and beg God to deliver us from the evils that men have planned. You know, yeah, martyrs will come. And I don't know who's going to be called to blood martyrdom. I'm like Menzini. Lord, can I run and hide, please? Show me where to hide. I'll run and hide. <laughs> I'm good at that. But Lord, whatever you want to do in me, I give you permission. And so many saints today, even so many saints, God is raising up in every day and age. God never stops giving his grace. It's there for the asking. Are we asking? Do we believe that God is in charge? Do we believe that God is God and we are not? You know, people often question, well, why is there suffering in the world if there's a good God? God didn't make the suffering, honey. God didn't make it. God made us free and he made us in love and he gave us supernatural, he gave us gifts above and beyond our nature that didn't belong to us, but they were gifts and they had to be taken care of and we could only keep them if we were faithful to him and we turned away. We weren't faithful. It's not God who's been unfaithful. It's men who've been unfaithful. Men turned away from God. It's not God who turned away from men. In the book of wisdom, in wisdom 1, 11 through 16, we read, but let our might, no, that's wisdom too, I'm sorry, I got the wrong wisdom here. <laughs> oh boy, wrong with, no, it's the right wisdom, it's just the wrong verses, sorry, <laughs> wrong verses. Beware then of useless murmuring and keep your tongue from slander. Because no secret word is without result, and the lying mouth destroys the soul. The lying mouth destroys the soul. Do not invite death by the error of your life. This is the book of wisdom. Do not invite death by the error of your life. The lying mouth destroys the soul. Nor bring on destruction by the works of your hands, because God did not make death, and he does not delight in the death of the living, for he created all things that they might exist, and the generative forces of the world are wholesome, and there is no destructive poison in them. And the dominion of Hades is not on earth, for righteousness is immortal. But ungodly men, by their words and deeds, summoned death. Consider him a friend, they pined away. Considering him, considering death a friend, they pined away. And they made a covenant with him because they are fit to belong to his party. 
And by the way, death, the, the, the scripture is referring here too to Satan, the enemy who tries to get us to turn away from God and to invite death. God didn't make death. Remember that? And then in, in, in chapter 2, verse 23 and 24, what does it say? For God created man for incorruption and made him in the image of his own eternity. But through the devil's envy, death entered the world. And those who belong to his party experience it. God made us for union with himself. And we have to strive to live that union with God in every moment of every day of our life. And we need to be faithful to the Lord. And again, take a warning from the brothers of Joseph. They harbored the grudge in their heart. They harbored hatred toward their brother. And they almost killed him. If Reuben hadn't intervened, they might have killed him. But Reuben intervened. But God used their wickedness to bring about a good. Not that he intended their wickedness, but God can bring a greater good. Joseph cooperated with God. He didn't complain and he didn't feel sorry for himself. And he wasn't, woe is me, all those horrible brothers of mine, what evil they did. He's always looking to the Lord to see what is it, Lord, that you have in store here? What is your plan in all of this? And in the end, he's able to point it out to his brothers that God had a plan. From the beginning. God had a plan from the beginning. Yes. He made us in his image. He made us for union with himself. That's what we're called to live. So God is awesome. Okay. And he's still in charge. Remember the marvels the Lord has done and is doing among us. He's still raising up saints in our very own day. He's raising up saints and he's asking some to be martyred. There are those who will visibly be martyred. But we want to live the white martyrdom of fidelity to God day in and day out, not compromising with the world. Remember the gospel of today? We don't compromise with the world. We're called to live in union with God. We're not called to fit in. We're not, we're not called to make ourselves obnoxious and not called to beat our, other people over the head with the gospel or the, the scriptures or the truth. But we are called to live the truth to the point that other people notice, just as in the early church. But what are they supposed to notice? See those Christians, how they love one another. So let us be loving. Let us be forgiving. Let us ask forgiveness for all those who have injured us. And let's forgive all those who have injured us and ask forgiveness for all we have injured. And all of us have injured somebody and all of us have caused injury to someone else. So Lord, I forgive all those who have injured me and I ask pardon for all whom I have injured. Thank you for joining us on Virgin Most Powerful Radio, Bible with the Barbers, on this July 9, 2021. Keep us in prayer. Keep the faith. Spread it. Renew your faith every day. Lord, I believe in you. Increase my faith. Lord, grant me the grace of final perseverance. Thank you for your support. And uh, sign up for that conference on August 7th on uh, Family Life.